Um, I do have certain teachers that are more gung ho than I am, than I am, or or they're gung ho with me. But um, don't not talk about it or not do it because of the fear of overwhelming them. Mine can filter when they're overwhelmed, and I allow for that. If they're not sure what my expectation is, they ask me, and. I have to say, yes, that is required. You need to do that. Or, you know what? We can think about that and talk about that. Originally, I thought, yes, this is something I'm going to hold firm on, but you bring up some good points. Let me think about that. The biggest roadblock, I think, is time, and they're overwhelmed. And teachers have enough to do without me, their principal, dropping five iPads in their lap and saying, ready, go. They have... 20 to 27 little bodies in their classroom that are way more important than that piece of equipment. And I want their focus to be on them first and their learning. And then how can this device, technology, website, tool, whatever it is, enhance what they're already doing. We do a lot outside of work and a flipped, no matter what people say, flipped faculty meetings, flipped classrooms, it's like homework. Welcome to Transformative Principal, where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter, at Jethro Jones. Today on the podcast, we are fortunate to have Melinda Miller. She's a principal at East Willard Elementary School in Missouri. I've been a fan of Melinda for a long time. She used to do a podcast that inspired me every single day as I was learning how to be an administrator. And now I'm very excited for the opportunity to talk with her today. I hope you enjoy this part one of two interview with Melinda Miller. I'd like to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast this week. It is creativesforeducation.com. Have you ever noticed that teachers are really great at teaching our students, but don't have the time or the training to create beautiful things? creativesforeducation.com does that for you. As an educator, you can sign up for a free account, request the designer create a project for you, give them some guidelines and tips, and then within about a week, they'll get something back to you that looks amazing. Go to creativesforeducation.com, click on the design requests, and you'll be able to look at some of the things that have already been done. Then sign up for a free account and start making beautiful things for your students. That's creativesforeducation.com or creatives, the number four, edu.com. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm currently an assistant principal, and I want to be the best principal that I can be when I have that opportunity, which is hopefully soon, right? <laughs> yes, and you will be fine. Yep, and uh, so I do this so that I can interview awesome people and see how they're doing things and how I can do things better myself. So anyway, that's that's where we're at. So why don't you start and tell us a little bit about your school and where you're at and what you're doing there? 
Okay, well, I am currently a principal in Willard, Missouri, and it's right outside of Springfield, Missouri. I have been in the Willard School District for 20 years. This is my 20th year. I was a fifth grade teacher for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I coached junior high girls basketball. I coached high school track. I was in charge of the before and after school program. And I've been a principal for 10 years at the same building in Willard. I've been at Willard East. We are a K-4 building. We were a K-5 building. And I'm also, other duties as assigned are (laughs) the preschool. I am in charge of one of the preschools, in charge of parents as teachers. And and I recently inherited the elephant. I think we locked up. Are you there? Yeah, we did lock up. Note the time. So you said you're in charge of uh, uh, the preschool, parents as teachers, and then we locked up. That was about it. I do the elementary. <laughs> I do the elementary gifted program, but that is um, it's housed in my buildings. So I just became in charge of that. Gotcha. I understand. Um, so this is also your first school that you've been a principal of. Is that right? Yes, I have been at Willard East for 10 years, so I have been fortunate enough to stay in the same district and now in the same building as a principal. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I don't think our principals usually last that long. The longest principal that I'm aware of right now is in our district is uh, in her eighth year, so 10 years is a long time. Principals tend to move around, especially if they would like to pursue um, positions in the central office administration. I don't currently have that desire. Never say never, but I can't see having that desire anytime. Mm -hmm. So that's sometimes why they don't stay in the principal position very long. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so the, one of the real reasons I wanted to interview you is because I was a devout fan of the practical principles podcast that you did with Scott Elias. And that podcast was exactly what I needed as I was learning to become an assistant principal. And it was so wonderful because it was very practical and it was exactly what, how to do a lot of things that they don't teach you in, uh, in your under in your graduate degree or in your undergrad degree or anything like that. And I just loved it because it always uh, you guys were so honest about what you were going through. You talked about the hard things that you did, and it really helped me get a good perspective of what I had to look forward to as an administrator. And it was spot on. <laughs> and when I became an administrator, um, I I remembered some of the things that you guys had talked about and some of the hard decisions and hard conversations you had to have. And so um, this is pretty exciting for me to finally be able to talk to you because I really admire what you and Scott did together with that podcast. And I followed your blog for a long time and followed you on Twitter for a long time. And you've got such so many great resources. I don't know if we'll be able to cover everything in our interview today. But what I would like to talk about first is talk about how you have... Well, you are too kind. I will say that. Oh, thank you. Talk about how you have... Um, 
gotten your teachers on board with technology. That's one of the things that you have talked about for a long time. And just uh, I think it was a post today or yesterday about a fourth grade teacher in Chromebooks. And she was very honest about the struggles that she went through. So why don't you talk about how you go through getting your teachers on board with technology first? Well, I think one of the main things was that I did whatever I could to provide them with the most current equipment, whether that was PTO or that was a way to be creative with the budget that I have. I tried to put the most current technology, devices, equipment, resources, whatever it was, in front of them as soon as I could. I have an excitement for it myself. I think that carries over to my teachers. They see my excitement. I talk about it continually. Some of them probably get sick of it. Not all of them are as thrilled about technology as me, but I think my enthusiasm, my willingness to help them, my willingness to provide the resources for them. I am guilty of sometimes forgetting professional development because I'm a trial by fire person and I just put it out there and I just learn as I go. So I need to be very cognizant of making sure I provide professional development for them, but I don't hesitate. It's just everyday conversation with me. Hey, on Twitter, I saw this, or I sent you guys a Twitter link, or hey, I created a board on Pinterest, or I have my iPad with me, I have my iPhone with me, just modeling it, I have it with me all the time. Mm -hmm. So do you ever feel like your teachers are overwhelmed with all the stuff you're bringing to them? Or do you feel like you go to the right people at the right time? How do you manage that? Well, yes, some of them do get overwhelmed with what I say and what I do. And it's not a matter of that they complain about it or they get mad about it. I think it's more like, oh, Lord, she's on another one of those tangents again. And they don't have time at that moment. They hear it. They listen to it. But it's just not something for them right then. They may come back to it. They may not come back to it. Something I say usually resonates with a teacher at a certain time. So don't hold back, I guess, when it comes to technology and make sure that you're just share it out. If it's a passion of yours, just share it out. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, I do have certain teachers that are more gung ho than I am, than I am or or they're gung ho with me. But um, don't not talk about it or not do it because of the fear of overwhelming them. Mine can filter when they're overwhelmed and I allow for that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, that allowing for people to filter when they're overwhelmed. Um, does that is that only when it's applied to technology? Or is that with everything you do? How do you how do you make it clear when they're allowed to filter it out and when they're not? Well, I have expectations, and I think that they know what my expectations are. So, for example, they are expected to have a classroom website or blog. They're expected to keep that as current as possible. I'm flexible in the tool or the platform that they use. It can be a Weebly. It can be a blogger. It can be an edge blog it can be a wordpress 
but they have to have something, whatever works for them. They, and then I recognize and compliment them on those things. So every now and then I'll just, of an evening, I'll go through and just take a look at all their websites, see how they're doing and compliment them on their websites. I might make a note, hey, don't forget to update your website. But they see the benefit now of having an updated website that parents can just go to and find everything that I don't really have to remind them very often. They really, that's not a battle that I fight anymore. It's just an expectation. So if they're not sure what my expectation is, they ask me. And I have to say, yes, that is required. You need to do that. Or, you know what? We can think about that and talk about that. Originally, I thought, yes, this is something I'm going to hold firm on, but you bring up some good points. Let me think about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I imagine you have the district support when you um, say you have to have a blog or a website that that's something that your district is behind as well, right? Yes, it's pretty common across the district for our teachers to keep updated websites. Right now, we're looking into how consistent do they need to be doing so that whenever, because we have so many, everybody has one and everybody's been allowed their autonomy. However, every year, a parent has to figure out a new teacher's website, or if you have multiple kids in the district, every teacher has a different website. So I don't know yet really how much teacher individualism we want to take away. And a website is a website is a website. So you pretty much figure them out pretty quickly. So we're, that's in discussion. Gotcha. So what is your opinion on that? Well, I would like for my teacher's daily or weekly or daily information blog to be the first thing that they see when they click on the website. So when you go to Ms. Whistler's website, I would like the most current information to be visible. Some teachers have a static page that shows up and then the parent has to figure out where to go from there. Right. A newslettery type homepage is more beneficial for the parents, I feel. As far as what color, what, you know, graphics you have on the sides and stuff, I think that that's a minor detail, but the where you land needs to be the most current information. And then are you pushing teachers towards using free-only sites, or do some teachers request funds to use, like, a paid service like Squarespace or something like that? Well, that's funny that you should ask. I bought some subscriptions to some edgy blogs and some different things and offered to pay. And that option is on the table for those that get to that point, if they would like to do something like that. Most of mine have settled on Weebly. They Mm -hmm. really like that. That is something that's user-friendly to them. Other principals and their teachers have settled on Weebly, and that is perfectly fine with me. I switched from edgy blogs to blogger because our district is a Google Apps district. And I don't know, I had this grandiose idea about something that hasn't really worked out for me. I I liked edgy blogs. I may go back to that next year, depending on how my rollout is going with this new blog that I have. I And I want to clarify, the blog that I'm talking about is a staff blog that I don't necessarily share out 
on Twitter and online publicly. Mm-hmm. It's there publicly. I'm not going to tell you what the name of it is, but if you came across it, that's okay. Um, but I don't, I don't want my teachers to see, come across it and see something that I posted publicly kind of like that. A lot of principals have it. If principals want it, they can ask me. I will share it for them. Mm-hmm. We kind of have an unspoken rule among us principals not to share out the memo websites that we use. Some principals lock them down and you can't find it or if you found it it's password protected. I feel like and Scott talked Scott and I talked about this a lot is just helping each other. How right. can you help each other? So I want mine to be public so that I can help another principal if they need that. Exactly. I think that's a really excellent point and something that I've learned a lot from you. And a little bit later, I want to make sure we talk about your flipped faculty meeting as well, because that was also something that um, that was neat that you did that had you not been public about it, uh, I, I wouldn't have known how it was actually implemented, which is the most exciting part. Going back a little bit to the technology requirements for your teachers, what what are some of the struggles that you've had with getting setting your expectations and having teachers meet them? What roadblocks have you run into that uh, you've been able to overcome or that you're still struggling with? The biggest roadblock, I think, is time and they're overwhelmed. And teachers have enough to do without me, their principal, dropping five iPads in their lap and saying, ready, go. As exciting as that is and as happy as a lot of teachers would be to have those, it's more than just giving them a one-to-one Chromebook classroom or giving them five to ten iPads. It takes time to implement that. And I forget that sometimes because I get so excited and I lose sleep because of all these things I could do. Mm -hmm. But they have... 20 to 27 little bodies in their classroom that are way more important than that piece of equipment. And I want their focus to be on them first and their learning. And then how can this device technology website tool, whatever it is, enhance what they're already doing. So time and being overwhelmed have been my biggest roadblocks. I feel like my teachers are very open, very willing, very passionate, but time is the big roadblock for me. Right. So you, um, with the Common Core this year, and I think you guys do a new evaluation system as well. Is that right in Missouri? Yes, uh, we are not. The new evaluation system has not affected the teachers yet. Gotcha. As far as the providing evidence and all that, that has not affected our teachers in this district this year. The things that have affected our district at the elementary level this year is the implementation of the Common Core full-blown K Mm -hmm. through 4, redoing the curriculum as we go this year, and standards-based grading, and the report card. We thought we would just implement all of that all in one year. So we all are in agreement that we would not recommend that now. (laughs) However, we just have been treading water with that for a while, and it'll be much better next year. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. We are moving to standards-based grading this year. We started the Common Core last year, um, and even still, we... The standards-based grading, you would think that report cards, we have trimester, so it's three times a year. You would think that that would not consume our thoughts and feelings for as long as it has, but 
It really does, especially leading up to that. We had a lot of discussions leading up to the first trimester about standards-based grading. So anyway, there are all these other stressors and all these other things going on, um, and yet you're still pushing your teachers enough that at least one teacher is trying a uh, one-to-one Chromebook implementation in your classroom, and I'm sure other things are going on at your school. How do you balance that, um, that the kids are most important, but I still want you to try to do these new things that are different? Well, that is the multi-million dollar question right now. <laughs> we Kids come first, and I've probably pushed my teachers more than other principals would have pushed their teachers, but we're kind of at a at a point right now where we're regrouping. Okay, mm-hmm. we have all this new curriculum. We have the new grading system. This semester, things seem to be settling down just a little bit. So we're regrouping and trying to figure out, okay, let's get back to what's important and let's be making sure that we're meeting the needs of the kids and then start plugging back in some of those things. It was a perfect storm, so to speak. You have all of these new things. You're overwhelmed. You're exhausted. Christmas break hits. I think everybody had the opportunity to regroup, take a breath, think about what's important, come back together. And this semester seems to be off to a much calmer start where we can start plugging back in some of the things we originally said back in August. Okay, we have all these great ideas then we got hit with Common Core and we got hit with all of these things. And now we can take a breath and start back up. You just have to take the pulse of your staff and you can tell when they're all ready to, you know, harm each other. Right. <laughs> and just take a deep breath and, and back away. I am lucky that I have some staff members that feel comfortable coming to me and saying, okay, you need to stop that. We slow down. We love this. This is a great idea, but I think the teachers are going to hurt you if you do that. And I'm so lucky that they can, they can come to me and be honest and say those things. So that's helpful. Yeah. And, and that's huge. And the principles that I've interviewed so far, that building a culture of telling the administrator when you're at your breaking point is so vital to the success as a school because you can't push teachers so much that they hate your guts or are going to hurt you. You know, you can't do any of that and expect them to still um, put students first when they feel threatened or they feel harmed. It just doesn't work. So obviously um, over your 10 years at the school, you've established that credibility that if you talk to me, I will listen and I will understand. And that I think is a great, awesome thing at the beginning of the year, you had a bunch of great ideas. Tell me about your process over the summer gearing up for a new year and how you get ready for the new year to actually happen. And this would be an appropriate time to talk about your flipped classroom, which I'll put a link to the ASCD write up about it in the in the show notes so that people can go read more about that, but incorporate that in there as well. Okay, so I knew a lot of things were coming back in the semester last year, in the spring semester. So there was some preliminary work in the spring semester. So for example, I knew that my fourth grade was going to be one-to-one Chromebook. So I made sure all of my teachers at those grade levels in those classrooms had a Chromebook in their hands. I didn't have all the training figured out yet and what we were going to do, but 
they needed to have that Chromebook in their hand. It's like kids, you give them a manipulative and you just let them play with it for a while. So I gave them the Chromebook. I'm like, all right, go, whatever you need to do with that. I'm going to plan something for us. But if you want to, some of them are going to run with it. Others are going to wait till I have the professional development. So I had about, I think I had two half day trainings during the school year. And then we have common planning time. So during that common planning time, I scheduled some trainings then. So the the last semester of last year in the spring, we had some professional development with the Chromebook. Over the summer, I had at least two full days, if not more, trainings on the Chromebooks. So we were ready when it came to the Chromebooks. And like I said, I just posted a guest post from a teacher on my blog about her opinion of that. Well, when the new year started, we were ready for the Chromebooks, but what we hadn't anticipated was the new curriculum, the new software for standards-based grading, the new, all of the new assessments that we had created, the new report card, There were so many things that it was like, wow, now what are we going to do? And I think all of us just were doing what we could to survive at the time. Maybe they were using their Chromebooks. Maybe they weren't using their Chromebooks. It was just whatever it just survived. We, We were literally going week by week as far as new stuff. I do not recommend that. None of us recommend that. So I did have the preliminary training in place. I had a teacher that actually piloted a one-to-one elementary summer school class. So there was a summer school class that lasted four weeks, one-to-one Chromebook, elementary kids. And then that teacher came to our summer training and said, after doing this for four weeks with elementary age kids, this is what happens. So then we all got to hear what works and what doesn't work. So that was a huge help. For that. So if you could do anything in the summer, if you have a summer school program or anything that you can just pilot it that is not detrimental to anything, just do it. And then you can. So that was how we led up into the year. On time, I started flipping faculty meetings back in, um, let's see, I did the fall this year and the fall last year. And it was another principal and I at another building. And our goal was all those mundane things that you have to cover that you waste quality time with, somehow put it in an online format, send it to your teachers. They can read it, watch it, listen to it. And then when you come together as a faculty, you can work on more quality things. So that they loved it. They thought that was fantastic. Now, it was short to the point. It was not, they were not long. They were, I split them up and there was plenty of time in advance to look at that. I think I gave it to him two weeks in advance. Make sure you look at this, make sure you do this. And then when we come together, we maybe played a fun game that had some information from those meetings, just a fun review. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we fit the flipped faculty meeting in. So I think my teachers almost expect that now for some of the mundane information. Try to make it fun, try to make it kind of quirky. This year, I tried to include during the recording what I was doing so that the teachers could learn. Like I would say, okay, I'm using Screencast-O-Matic for this, and it's a Google presentation. So they could hear what I was doing, and if they wanted to try it, Mm -hmm. they could try that. 
that that's really awesome. Um, there are there's a lot in there that I want to go back and and revisit because you said things like it's no big deal, but it is a big deal for someone who has never done it before. And so let's talk about a couple of things first. So you're going back to the Chromebooks. You're talking about the PD for the Chromebooks. Do you provide that PD in Planet, or do you have a EdTech specialist that is providing that PD? I have an EdTech specialist that works with me and we plan it together. We sometimes I'm ahead of him, sometimes he's ahead of me. It just depends on the day. He's not as connected on Twitter or on blogs as I am. So I'll see or hear something and I'll want to change up what we're doing because I'm like, oh, this is a much better idea. Uh-huh. So, and then sometimes his he just thinks so um, strategically that he can come up with a plan from A to Z more clearly than I can. I'm mm-hmm. all over the place. He right. is A, B, C, D, and I am just a quick start and chase squirrels all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I have help. That's great. And that sounds like really good help too, that somebody who's different than you and can do things that you're not quite as good at and you have skills that he doesn't have. I love hearing how people can compliment each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Going back to the flipped faculty meetings, um, what, uh, what do you feel is the most important thing for someone who's going to start doing the flipped faculty meetings? What do you think the most important thing for them to be aware of as they create that? Short. Short. (laughs) That was one of my big things is because Some people have just read off of a script into the camera and it's a 15 minute um, script reading, storytelling, you know, whatever it is, short. Just if you can five minute spurts, my teachers have to be able to either look on their iPhone, look on their iPad, sit down at their computer for five minutes quick and then get the information. We all have kids. We all have families. Um, I don't want them, we do a lot outside of work and a flipped, no matter what people say, flipped faculty meetings, flipped classrooms, it's like homework. Right. So it needs to be a really quick little blurb. I mm-hmm. guess that's just my main thing is right now what I've seen, my advice would be short. Right. I think that's great. That's one of my concerns that I've had with um, doing flipped faculty meetings and flipped learning in general is that you're requiring people to do things outside. And when you're requiring your employees to do things outside, it's a little bit different than making your students do homework. And we have to be cognizant of that and aware of how that how that is going to be received. And if I make my teachers watch something 10, 15 minute clip of me spouting off about something every night for homework, they're going to get sick of that really fast. But if it's fun, like you said, and short, then it's not going to be as, as frustrating to them or as bothersome or tedious even. And some of them can do it in the morning when they get to school. It's not something that has to be done at home. It could be five minutes of their planning time. It could be five minutes before they go home. It doesn't have to be at home. It doesn't have to be outside of school. If it's 15 to 20 minutes, they're probably going to put it off and think, oh, I'll just do that at home. And that's not my purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so your purpose is to go over the things that they aren't going, that you don't want them to sit through and get in a faculty meeting, but that you still want them to have the information, right? Mm -hmm. And, and your reason for not wanting to do it in a faculty meeting is what? 
because we hate it. <laughs> they hate it. <laughs> it drives them insane. The teachers that have been here for like 10 years, seriously, if I go over the, oh gosh, I can't even think of it, the hallway procedure one more time, I think that they just roll their eyes and just about have a stroke. So they don't want to hear that over and over again. And honestly, if they fast forward through it, then they can fast forward through it. I'm fine with that too, because mm -hmm. it's that stuff that they've heard all the time. Now, something that I did do recently, you know, we had 600 snow days just here the last Seriously. <laughs> so we were supposed to have a leadership team meeting and I did a five minute leadership team meeting. Hey guys, these are the things that I wanted to talk about at this meeting. So here are my thoughts. Next time we meet, be ready to talk about these things right here. And it was five minutes and they loved it. They, that's good. They'll remember it. If we ever meet again, it, it puts that thought. So it made, it gave them ownership of she's allowing us to have a place in this conversation. We couldn't meet, but she wanted us to know. So they feel like I'm not keeping anything from them because some decisions may have to be made before we can meet. But I shared my thinking and it was my voice and not writing. That's another thing. You cannot tell somebody's tone in writing. I've been here for 10 years. I think they can figure out my sarcastic tone. <laughs> But if you are a new principal or your staff doesn't know you, they read between the lines and it's much better sometimes to hear your voice. Yeah, absolutely. We call those storylines at my school. And uh, when people have a storyline, it could be anything that they can possibly think of. And it's usually the worst thing that it can be. And it's not beneficial to anyone. So when when we have a concern like that, the the teacher can come to us and say, this is my storyline. And then we know to back off and let them explain what's going on. And then they tell us what they think they're understanding. And then we explain what we really meant. And you're bypassing that by sending a video message to your faculty saying, this is what I'm thinking. And they can hear how you're saying it. So it's still possible, but less likely that they will create a storyline from that. I love your idea. That's great, too. Oh, it's it's been amazing. We've had so many great conversations since we started doing that. And I've had teachers come to me and tell me the craziest things that are just insane. And I'm like, there is no way I would ever in my life think that. But if if that's what you're thinking, I need to make sure that I clarify that so that you never think that again, because that's just no good. Um, I And I really like the idea of of why it's beneficial to have your voice instead of your writing. I just think that's awesome. What do you do for accountability for those flipped meetings? How do you ensure that they are accountable for the information um, without taking that much more time in your faculty meeting to ensure that? Well, the first one that I did, there was a form at the end of the meeting. So once you get through all of the information, you have to fill out the Google form. Mm -hmm. So that was my accountability. And my secretary kept a check sheet. She had access to it and she could check off. This person has completed it. This person has completed it. This person has completed it. And it was just a matter of, hey, go fill out your Google form. That was the accountability for that one. Another one was, I think we played Jeopardy or we did a Jeopardy game and I used the information from the flipped faculty meeting and created one of those PowerPoint Jeopardy games. And when we came together, the first thing we did was 
Jeopardy. And I said, all of the information in this can be found in the flip faculty meeting. Ready, go. And so it's not threatening. Mm -hmm. Um, They're professional. I'm going to treat them like professional. If I think somebody is not doing it or not being professional, I'm going to address that person. I'm not going to blanketly tell the whole group you have to remember to do this. There was two people that didn't do it. I'm going to tell those two people, let's go get on Mm -hmm. board here. And you keep track well enough to know exactly who those two people are. And you probably know before you send out the flipped faculty meeting that these two people are probably going to struggle with it. So you probably do things to make sure that they're taken care of and going to complete it, right? Yes. Yeah, that's great. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with her. Looking forward to next week. We're going to finish the conversation with her. She's going to talk about how she looks at teachers who need to be corrected and how she views them. Going to talk about how she shares her own results of her evaluations with her staff, how she uses Twitter and other social media for her own learning and to help her do better. Of course, I'm going to ask the questions about what is the one thing a principal can do to be a transformed principal like her? And what is something in her office that is meaningful to her? I think you're going to like her answers to my questions. And we'll see you next week. And be sure to check out our sponsor, creatives4edu.com.